Hello, folks, and welcome to episode 41 of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. As always, I am your host, Josh McKinney, the sports editor of the Hickory Daily Record in North Carolina. Got a great show for you today. I'm going to be going solo, but coming up just momentarily, I'm going to have a podcast shout out as I highlight another podcast that I think is doing great work. After that, Off the Wall returns. That's where I will talk about a unique rule in the world of sports today. I'm going to be talking about the drop kick rule in the NFL, so stay tuned for that. Then, McKinney's Mailbag is back. I've got some questions that were posed to me on Twitter that I'll answer for you. And then, a full court press ends the show as I give my unfiltered thoughts on Tim Tebow potentially signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's all coming up today on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. Let's get right to it, folks, with that podcast shout-out. Okay, so for today's podcast shout-out, I can't remember. I believe I have given this particular podcast a shout-out in the past, but it's been a while. But I want to give a podcast shout-out real quickly to Jesse Velasquez, who has been a three-time guest here on Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. I've been on his show a couple of times as well, some of his early episodes. But he does one called Wrestling Unplugged and Undeniable uh, that comes out regularly. He's done about 25 episodes, I believe and uh, I've got the Spreaker link in the description. It's available on a couple other platforms as well. Definitely check out Wrestling Unplugged and Undeniable if you're looking for some good professional wrestling content. Check out some of those early episodes I was on. We did some rankings. We previewed a couple of AEW pay-per-views. He has since gotten a co-host, Maria Rose, who also gives a unique insight into the topics they talk about. They do delve into some other things. I believe they've, got, they've talked about some music sports, uh, some other things as well, but it is primarily a professional wrestling-based podcast. If you're looking for that, they do concentrate a lot on AEW, on NXT, uh, on some of the independent wrestling shows, Impact Wrestling. Uh, So check out Jesse and Maria and what they're doing. Now, Maria hasn't been on some of the later episodes. She took a little leave of absence And Jesse's had some other great voices on his show to help him out. But happy for him and his success. Hope the podcast continues to grow. I know, like me, he's got some big dreams about that. But definitely listen back as well to the episodes I've had Jesse on. He was one of my early guests, and then I brought him back twice. The only person thus far to be on the show three times with me, uh, besides my wife, of course, who is a regular contributor. But like I said, the link is in the description for this podcast episode to Wrestling Unplugged and Undeniable. Like I said, Jesse does great work. He's a great guy. And yeah, just check them out. If you're looking for a professional wrestling-based podcast, I'm sure I'll have Jesse on again at some point in the future. Would love to go back on his show as well. Really have enjoyed our conversations. And Jesse's going to become a father here soon. So shout out to him for that. Not completely sure of the due date and when that is, but very excited for uh, Jesse and his significant other as well. That's a quick podcast shout out there. Like I said, link in the description. Check it out if you're a professional wrestling fan particularly. Now, I want to move into the next part of the show. It's time for Off the Wall. What's that? All right, so for today's Off the Wall segment, I want to discuss an obscure rule in the NFL. Now, it also exists at other levels in American football, like college football, occasionally 
uh, arena football has a very unique take on the drop kick rule, which I'll get to. Now, at one point, it was actually used a lot in the NFL and in football in general. Uh, but the drop kick, basically, you can use it on a field goal. Instead of having a holder, uh, the kicker will drop the ball onto the ground, and they must kick it either as it hits the ground or after it bounces once. You cannot allow it to bounce more than once off the ground, but you would try to do that. It is significantly harder, I would say, than having a holder, but that's a drop kick. You can try it. It's been done also on onside kicks. I believe it was done twice during the 2020 season and uh, unsuccessful, but it's a thing that was used in early football as a surprise tactic. Sometimes the ball would be like snapped back to a running back and instead of running the ball, they would go ahead and do a drop kick, kick the field goal. And of course, in early football, a lot of times you had quarterbacks serving as like a punter or kicker or other players. Guys were more, instead of being specialized to one position, were able to do both of those and fulfill both of those roles for their teams. But that's the drop kick. Uh, and that's how that works. You won't see it very often at all, but very rarely, surprisingly, you will see that used in the NFL and even in college. Uh, I believe it was done maybe at least once uh, during 2020. Now, arena football actually allows the kicker to attempt a drop-kicked extra point, and they give you two points rather than one on an extra point uh, because it is more difficult and a drop kick field goal counts for four points rather than three. Now, arena football is now defunct, actually, the Arena Football League, but there is a National Arena League is where it last occurred in the arena sphere of football, uh, if you will. Maine Mammoth's kicker, Henry Nail, actually converted a drop kick as a extra point in a game against Massachusetts Pirates. Uh, as part of the National Arena League. Now, the National Arena League actually has merged with another league, and they're still trying to, you know, work things out. It's supposed to be starting up at some point, I believe, maybe even this month. Don't know too much about that, uh, but do know that they, they had to cancel, as a lot of things did with COVID-19 last year, and really disrupting a lot of things, not just sports, but everywhere. Uh, but the drop kick, that's basically it. I mean, it's not used very often anymore. Was used a lot back in the day, as I said. Significantly harder, I would say. I've never tried to kick a football uh, immediately after dropping it on the ground, but it does make sense in rare instances, I guess, that a team would want to employ a drop kick. That's the off the wall obscure rule for today. Got a real quick 30 second or so ad coming up for you. After that, I'm going to answer some questions that were posed to me on Twitter. Uh, McKinney's Mailbag's coming up right after this short ad. Today's episode is sponsored by Bruch. Bruch is an electric toothbrush that will change the way you think about brushing your teeth. With powerful sonic technology and ultra-gentle bristles, the Bruch redefines what it means to have super clean teeth. It's like that feeling when you just leave the dentist, a fresh, whole mouth clean every single day. Our listeners get 15% off their total purchase with code POD15. Follow the link in the show notes and enter the code POD15 to get your exclusive discount and upgrade your oral care routine. Josh uses an electric toothbrush and let me tell you, his smile is gorgeous. Use the code POD15 and follow the link in our description. And thanks again to Bruce for sponsoring today's episode. Okay, so getting back to the show now, as I said, McKinney's mailbag is up next, and I've got five questions to answer today. 
I asked some past guests of the show and other followers on Twitter to post some questions to me the other day, and these are the five that I've got. The first question comes from Damian Adams. He is one-third of the Third and Three podcast. I've had all three members on at least once, and he also does The Real Deal with Damian Adams. is his own solo podcast. But anyway, Damian is a big professional wrestling fan like myself, and Damian asks, if you could pick two wrestlers from any era to go against each other and guarantee a five-star match, excluding Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle, who would be your picks? Well, first of all, we know we got to see Shawn Michaels and Kurt Angle face off at a WrestleMania, and it was phenomenal, as you would expect, two of the greatest in-ring performers of all time. Uh, Damien said his personal pick would be AJ Styles versus Rob Van Dam. That would surely be a heck of a match with those two in their prime, I'm assuming, is what he's talking about. For me, I just kept coming back to one that gotten to see multiple times. And that is AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan, or Bryan Danielson, uh, as he was known before his WWE days. I just keep going back to that because those two, to me, still to this day, you're very surprised if there's not a fantastic match if at least one of those guys is involved in it. And they're two of my personal favorites, really ever, even. AJ Styles was my favorite guy going all the way back to TNA days, Impact Wrestling, and awesome to see what he's been able to do in WWE as well. And then uh, Daniel Bryan, how could you not love that guy? So I just keep coming back to AJ Styles versus Daniel Bryan because you're going to have a chance at at least a four-star, possibly five-star match with just one of them involved. The two of them involved, and we've seen some magic between them before. I believe last year on SmackDown they actually wrestled. Remember, I think that was for the Intercontinental title, but it was on an episode of SmackDown. Just a great, great, great match, and not the first time we've seen those two face off, as I said. But I just keep coming back to that, so I'm going to go with the Phenomenal One and the Yes Man, AJ Styles and Daniel Bryan. I could watch those two wrestle all day, over and over again. That would be incredible, as always. So thank you, Damien, for that question. Now, uh, I mentioned his name earlier, Jesse Velazquez, a past guest of mine as well. He had a couple questions for me. The first one, we go to the NBA. Who will be the seventh and eighth seed in the NBA Western Conference playoffs? Well, the play-in games for the Eastern Conference were held last night. Tonight, the play-in games for the Western Conference will be held. If you're not familiar with the play-in tournament that they added this year, basically what happens is the number 7 and 8 seeds face off, and then the number 9 and 10 seeds face off against each other. The winner of the 7 versus 8 matchup, which is going to be the Los Angeles Lakers and the Golden State Warriors, gets the 7 seed in the playoffs. The loser of that 7-8 would then play the winner of the 9-10 matchup. So whoever loses 9-10's out. But the loser of the 7-8 game still has another chance because they're higher seed. They finish with a better record, so they get an extra chance to go against the winner of the 9-10 matchup. And that is the Memphis Grizzlies as the number 9 against the San Antonio Spurs as the number 10 out in the Western Conference. Now, who will be the 7th and 8th seed in the Western Conference playoffs, Jesse? First of all, that Lakers and Warriors matchup is going to be fun. (laughs) A ton of fun. Because Steph Curry, one of the favorites to win the MVP, I don't think. I mean, I think it's going to go to Nikola Jokic uh, out there in Denver. I think Chris Paul in Phoenix deserves a ton of consideration. Uh, But Steph's definitely in the top three or four players, uh, I would say, in that MVP race. And he could go off at any time and give the Lakers tons of trouble. But I just see it being hard for the Warriors to match up with Anthony Davis, LeBron James, and, and the guys the Lakers have got. 
I do think the Lakers find a way to pull it out, although I would not be shocked if the Warriors won. But I think the Lakers win, thus get that seven seed and uh, go up against the Phoenix Suns in the first round. Now, as for who will be going up against the top seed, the Utah Jazz, it's a little more difficult because obviously the Spurs have more veteran experience on their team and they've got Greg Popovich, so it's hard to bet against them. I mean, they've been to the playoffs 22 consecutive years before last season. But you've got the Memphis Grizzlies, who lost the play-in actually last year in the bubble and uh, ended up missing the playoffs because the 8-9 and seeds, I believe, faced off last year for that. And they lost out in that game to the Portland Trailblazers, if I remember correctly. But they've got a good young team. Grayson Allen's really come on this year, a former Duke guy, John Morant. So they're an up-and-coming team. I think they win a close one. I do think the Spurs give them a lot of trouble. But I think Memphis ends up winning that. But I don't think they get past the Golden State Warriors, who I think will take the eight seed and beat them the next game and advance to face off against, like I said, the Utah Jazz, the number one seed. That could be a fun series with Steph going up against Donovan Mitchell, who's one of my favorite young players to watch, and the rest of that Utah Jazz roster, Rudy Gobert. So I've got Lakers getting the number seven seed and the Warriors getting the number eight after losing to the Lakers but beating the Memphis Grizzlies. Jesse also had a professional wrestling question for me. He said, is there a need for another stadium stampede? Should the Inner Circle versus Pinnacle feud have ended after blood and guts? Well, stadium stampede last year was a whole lot more comical. Uh, I enjoyed it. I really did. But blood and guts was not comical. It was a very, as the name implies, bloody match. It was physical, and there was a lot going on inside that double cage. Uh, now the Pinnacle won. But, yeah, you would think a match like Blood and Guts should be a feud ender. But, I don't know. Maybe Stadium Stampede should have come earlier. I don't know where they're headed, but I don't think one match, if that's what you're asking me, should be the end of a feud between the top two factions in AEW. And there are a lot of factions in AEW right now, which is a story for another day. <laughs> But, no, I think the inner circle should get the better of the pinnacle at some point, even though the pinnacle probably should win out, maybe. I mean, I don't know. There are some young, talented guys in both groups. Sammy Guevara, Santana, and Ortiz, I know, Jesse, you'd agree, deserve so much more than what they've gotten in AEW. Chris Jericho, obviously, has been around and is willing to put people over. But then on the other side, you've got MJF. Sean Spears, I think, is more talented than sometimes the booking would say for him. And, of course, FTR, one of your top tag teams as well. And Wardlow, of course, got to mention him as well, uh, I think has got a bright future. But, I don't know, I mean, there's not really a need for a stadium stampede, per se, but I don't think one match should end this feud, but at the same time, you could say Blood and Guns probably should be the final match of a feud, considering what it is. But with the way it ended, I guess I'm fine with it, because, obviously, Sammy surrendered because MJF was threatening to throw Chris Jericho off the cage, and he threw him off anyway, after they'd surrendered, so that kind of set yourself up for, yeah, there's going to be more matches. So, no, I guess it should not have ended after Blood and Guts, if you're looking at the way that it was booked. So, I think it's fine, and Stadium Stampede, should that be next? I don't know, but I think it will be enjoyable, and there should be some comical moments. But we'll see how it compares to last year's, because that was one of my favorite pay-per-view matches in AEW history, actually. Not something that should be done all the time, though. But anyway, next up is Ryan Dunn, and Ryan Dunn is not a guy I've had on the show before. Uh, you can find him on Twitter at one, and that's O-N-E, Dunn, D-U-N-N-E, radio. He does shows every Tuesday and Thursday, the sports show, 
maybe someone to have on later. He's been following me for a while. I've been following him. But anyway, he asked, who is your favorite Marvel superhero? There have been a ton of great Marvel movies. There have obviously been the Avengers where they put them all together, which were just incredible. If you're talking about my favorite movie, some of the ones that are up there, I love Doctor Strange. I love Black Panther. The Avengers, obviously, is a bunch of them together. The last Thor movie I thought was really well done. Guardians of the Galaxies have been great. I mean, it's it's hard to find a bad Marvel movie, for sure. I don't know if there is one. But my favorite superhero, Spider-Man. Always has been. Going back to childhood, it was always, you know, obviously the Flash is with DC. I always loved him. But Spider-Man has been <laughs> my boy <laughs> from Marvel. I love some of the other characters in the Marvel Universe as well. But I just love the fact that Spider-Man, and I think, uh, first of all, Tom Holland is the best Spider-Man that they've had. Uh, I enjoyed the other series as well with Tobey Maguire and Andrew Garfield. I've enjoyed each subsequent series better uh, when it comes to Spider-Man. Really interested in seeing the movie that comes out this December, Spider-Man No Way Home. Looking forward to seeing where they go with that. But I just love that he is a teenager, a young guy who becomes a superhero. He's just a regular kid, really. But it just has so much, you know, let me compare it to Deadpool, for instance. Deadpool, I love. It's hilarious. One of the funniest superheroes there are, if not the funniest. Spider-Man has some great quips as well, and he's up there. But Deadpool, very violent. Uh, Spider-Man is a much more family-friendly type thing. That's not to say one better than the other in that case. But Spider-Man just has a lot of heart to him, really. It's just very vulnerable and not the greatest superhero capabilities. I mean, awesome to be able to swing around, I'll tell you. The Spider-Man game that I played for PS4, I don't have a PS5 yet, but I want to play the second Spider-Man game. But anyway, the first one, oh my gosh, it's one of the best video games ever. Visually, the storylines, the things you can do in it. I haven't even beat all the side missions, but I did beat the game. So, man, it's phenomenal. One of the greatest video games I've ever played. But Spider-Man, favorite Marvel superhero for sure. Like I said, he's got a ton of heart and just love the story. I really do. I'll never forget the line, with great power comes great responsibility in the Tobey Maguire film. Love Spider-Man. Love what they've done with it. And, yeah, I got teary-eyed for sure. Uh, when he was one of the uh, ones to disappear for a while at the hands of Thanos. Spoiler if you have not seen the Avengers. But uh, it's been a while since they've been out, so get caught up if you have not. They're great. And Endgame was just on TV the other day. Caught a few minutes of it. When he came back, it was a great moment for me. I love seeing them all come back in Endgame and take care of that Thanos. But Spider-Man, in short, is my favorite Marvel superhero. Last question comes from a previous guest, Emily O'Hearn, who I had on last August. And she basically just asked, if my rankings of my top serials have changed since we did so last summer. If you haven't listened to that episode, definitely do. Emily's a great woman and is doing a lot of great things. But basically, here's what my list was for our Ranky Panky that day as we ranked our top serials. She's a huge serial fan. I am too. Number five, I had Lucky Charms. Number four, I had Honeycomb. Number three, I had Captain Crunch. Number two, I had Cinnamon Toast Crunch, which was her favorite. And number one was Frosted Flakes. I don't see a change there. Still going to stick with that same list. Frosted Flakes, still my goat of breakfast cereal. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is a very close second, though. And there are times when I feel more in the mood for one than the other. And uh, Captain Crunch is great as well. I love both the regular and the one with the crunch berries. 
Honeycomb I haven't had in a while, but I enjoy it, and the strawberry version, and then Lucky Charms, classic, and uh, Love the Marshmallows uh, really make it for me. So, no, I'm not going to change my list. Before I move on, thank you to everyone who posed questions to me. I uh, asked some of the past guests and my other Twitter followers to help me out with some questions on Monday, and they gave me some pretty quickly to uh, fill some content there for McKinney's Mailbag. Now I want to move in to the next segment of the show, Full Court Press. So for today's Full Court Press, I want to discuss one of the most polarizing figures in all of sports and has been for, gosh, well over a decade now, right? A decade and a half, maybe. And that is Tim Tebow. When you think of the name Tim Tebow, it evokes some sort of emotion, depending on what you believe or just how you feel, whether you're a Florida Gators fan or not. I'm not. At one point, I was definitely a big supporter of theirs and their football team because Tim Tebow was the quarterback and uh, a former Heisman Trophy winning quarterback at that. One of the greatest college football players I ever saw. Uh, The guy was a force of nature out there on the field and his I Promise speech was given in 2008, I believe. Uh, I think that was his junior season at Florida. After a one-point loss to Ole Miss, Florida was a heavy favorite in the game and lost that. And then after the game, Tebow just said, the rest of this season, no player in the country is going to play harder than I am. Our goal was to be undefeated. They didn't meet that. But the rest of this season, I'm going to lead this team and going to play harder than anybody. The Gators went on to win the national championship that year. So, that's one of the major moments ever in Tim Tebow's football playing career. He would go on to the NFL, was only there for a few seasons, but I'll never forget the way he took a Denver Broncos team that was, I believe, 1-4, led them to 8-8 eight and eight in a playoff berth, led them to a win over the Pittsburgh Steelers in the first round of the playoffs. The 316 game, uh, where all kinds of stats for Tebow ended up being 316. He had 316 passing yards, averaged 31.6 yards per completion. Uh, there were some others as well, I believe. And the John 316 is what that went back to. He was a guy who wore Bible verses on his eye black. Uh, I believe that was considered to be illegal at some point later on. I don't know why, but that was a rule that was made because of Tim Tebow, pretty much. Anyway, he was known for kneeling long before Colin Kaepernick did so, which obviously much different reasons for that, but was a lightning rod for controversy. Uh, Not that he wanted that. I mean, I'm sure he knew that some flack would be given to him for making the decision to do that. But Tim Tebow has always been a guy that, not just one of my most well-respected athletes, but one of my most well-respected human beings, period. Being a Christian myself uh, and seeing the way he played and the way he went about his business, the way he carried himself, the way he continues to carry himself. He's got a beautiful wife. He has been mistreated in a lot of ways. And Tim Tebow's not the greatest player ever. Didn't have the prettiest stats even that season with the Broncos. But they got rid of him after that year. They got Peyton Manning, brought him in. I mean, to their credit, they did end up winning a Super Bowl a few years later. 
not really Manning's doing. <laughs> the defense is really what carried them. I remember it well against my Carolina Panthers in that Super Bowl, unfortunately. But Tim Tebow has recently come back in the news. Now, he did go and try to play minor league baseball. I actually saw him in person against the Hickory Crawdads uh, when he was in the Mets minor league system. He ended up recently deciding to retire from that, but did that for four or five years. And the guy, to me, though, is just such a shining example of what we should be as human beings. And you can believe what you want to believe religiously, but he treats everyone with respect. He carries himself in a way that I know at least one person on Facebook that I'm friends with who seems to greatly dislike Tim Tebow, and I'm sure there are others as well. For some reason, I once heard them say that he was an egomaniac or something along those lines, and I'm like, what? (laughs) Is this jealousy? Is it, what is this? Because I've never seen that from Tim Tebow. Quite the opposite, actually. And people are going to say he gets opportunities because of his name. Well, whatever. I mean, the guy has put himself out there, and he chases dreams. I mean, he was a great baseball player in high school in addition to football. Loved football, wanted to be a quarterback, didn't want to change positions. I don't blame him. That'd be like, you know, I I play shooting guard in basketball. That'd be like somebody telling me, oh, you got to stop shooting. Like, the best thing that I do on a field, I've got to stop doing. Now, that's not to say that Tebow couldn't have played another position. I mean, the guy's an absolute powerhouse. And he was kind of one of those guys who helped revolutionize the quarterback position, really, because he ran the ball a lot. And the way he ran the ball was with force, with physicality that was not often seen at the quarterback position prior to that. And guys like Cam Newton have come along and done that. Even though Cam is a better passer than Tebow overall, people are going to pick on Cam as another polarizing figure as well. But that's the truth. Another Heisman Trophy winning quarterback and national championship winning quarterback at Auburn. Ironically enough, Cam Newton played behind Tebow at Florida before transferring out. I mean, imagine having both those guys on your roster as quarterbacks. That's crazy. But anyway, the thing I want to talk about with Tebow now is the news has come out. Obviously, Urban Meyer, his former coach at Florida, is now the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars in the NFL, heading into his first season there. It's been in the news that Jacksonville may be signing Tim Tebow to a one-year contract. Uh, It's not official yet, hasn't been made, uh, at least as of this recording here. But he's 33 years old, hasn't played in the NFL since 2012. That said, let the guy try to live his dream. Jacksonville is planning to sign him as a tight end and not a quarterback. That's a transition, as I said, he did not want to make back in the day. But now he says, you know, maybe I want to be a part of the NFL again. Maybe I want to come back with my old coach. Maybe I just want to be a leader on this team. To me, he's one of the greatest leaders that sports has ever seen because he cares about his teammates. He cares about winning and carries himself with such high class. And I'll always respect Tim Tebow. I'll always back up Tim Tebow because the man is a winner. And at the end of the day, yes, stats matter. But at the end of the day, you can have all the stats in the world. But if you do not win, does it matter quite as much? I mean, they look great, but wins look best in sports. And we know this. Tim Tebow led the Denver Broncos to the playoffs, a team that was 1-4 when he took over and got cast aside. And yes, Peyton Manning is one of the greatest quarterbacks to ever play the game. But he was an aging quarterback, and yes, they got a Super Bowl. Like I said, they could have won a Super Bowl with some other quarterback. With that defense, they were elite. 
because they went up against a Panthers team that had the number one offense in the NFL, if I'm not mistaken, that season, and pushed them around throughout the Super Bowl. And a lot of that had to do with the Panthers' shaky offensive line. I get that. But Denver put pressure on Cam Newton throughout the game, and that Panthers offense did not allow them to fly around like they had all season, nearly an undefeated regular season. And I know how good that team was because I watched every game. I'm a Panthers fan. But all that to say, I mean, Tim Tebow got a couple chances with other teams, but was never really given a chance to start again. He was used as more of a gadget player. I mean, that's just how it was. And do I think he deserved a more fair shake? Yes, I I really do. I truly do. And I'm pulling for Tebow. A lot of the pundits on TV, a lot of the so-called experts, they want to say, oh, oh, wow, he's taking a roster spot from somebody else. Like, oh, he's... He doesn't deserve this. Oh, he's going to fail. How many times has Tim Tebow been told he's going to fail in his life? And yes, maybe sometimes he has. But the thing is, the man is willing to go through all of that, to live out a dream. And this is his dream, at least for this period of his life. I mean, the guy dreamed about being an NFL quarterback his whole life. He dreamed about playing at the highest level of the game because he loves it. The guy has kept himself in phenomenal shape. The Jaguars and people he's worked out for have said he looks like an 18-year-old, not a 33-year-old. And, I mean, the guy is built, and he is strong, and give him a chance. Trevor Lawrence, another great Christian man, will be a rookie quarterback this year for the Jaguars. Uh, Another reason to pull for them, uh, Tyler Shatley is an offensive lineman, one of the longest-tenured players on their roster. Graduated from the same high school I did, East Burke High in North Carolina, uh, a year after I did. Uh, One of the greatest players in the history of that school, if not the greatest. So a lot of reasons to really pull for the Jaguars. (laughs) Of course, they are owned by the Kahn family, and Tony Kahn, of course, owns AEW. So there's a lot to like about this team. We'll see how Urban Meyer transitions to the pro game. He's had several college coaching opportunities, uh, most notably at Florida and Ohio State. But we'll see. And there's going to be a lot of jealousy. People are going to say, oh, he doesn't deserve this. But why doesn't he? He's put himself in situations to be where he's at. And he's been a great analyst on TV for college football. And if he makes this team, I mean, we'll see how he does. Maybe it won't be great, but I don't think you can discredit what he brings to a team in the locker room. I would take 52, or however many guys are on an NFL roster, I would take that many with the heart and the passion that Tim Tebow has for the game and for life itself, and just the way he goes about things, I would take that over 52 Odell Beckhams. And that's not to discredit Odell Beckham's talent, but we're not talking about talent. Over 52, Antonio Browns, who at one point I thought was the best receiver in football and has had a lot of issues that I hope are getting better and that are being addressed. But I'll take a guy who you're not going to have to worry about off the field or pitching a fit on the field or whatever. Like, it's a ticking time bomb kind of, a diva. I'll take a guy like Tebow any day of the week over that ticking time bomb. Laugh at me all you want. Maybe you disagree. That's fine. Give the guy a chance, you know? There's nothing wrong with him getting a chance because, like I said, at least as of this recording, on Monday, they had not signed Tim Tebow to a contract just yet. It's probably likely to happen. It's going to sell tickets. 
A lot of people love him. Some Tim Tebow, and I'm one of them. A lot of people hate Tim Tebow. Whatever. I don't believe it's right to hate people. I really don't. And especially someone who stands for the things that Tim Tebow stands for. And I know there are people who don't believe the same way that Tim Tebow does. That's your choice. But just as his his choice to believe the way he does. And to say that he doesn't deserve this, I think it's a little too soon. People years ago said, oh, he should switch to tight end or running back. Well, he's looking to switch to tight end now. We'll see how it goes. He's certainly got the body for it. We'll see if he's got the other tools to excel at that position. Even other guys who are in the NFL or have been in the NFL have come out and criticized it and said they will lay him out. (laughs) I mean, the guy's kind of a brick wall, so he's not going to be the easiest guy to lay out. We know he can run with the ball, so he catches that ball. Don't be surprised if he runs right over your butt. That's all I'm saying. We'll see how it goes, but those are my thoughts on Tim Tebow potentially signing with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Hopefully, we see him in the NFL during the coming season as a tight end for the Jacksonville Jaguars and could still see him used as a gadget player here and there. Maybe he throws a pass every now and then. Maybe they use him out of the backfield, a blocker. I don't know. There's a lot you can do with a man who's built like that and who is willing to do whatever it takes to succeed at what he does. You're not going to succeed at everything in life, but do not discount somebody chasing a dream and trying to make something happen. How would you feel if somebody said that to you? Think about that. That's going to do it for today's episode of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney. As I said, this was episode 41 of the show. Be back with you in two weeks, the first Wednesday in June, right after my 31st birthday. Got a fun show coming up for you. Uh, still in the planning stages, of course. But I do know that we will have the return of happily ever drafter, Nate Warden, who he and his wife have listened to the show a lot, and I really appreciate the support. But he is the one who actually successfully guessed that Paul Bird would be my guest on the show earlier this year. So he won this opportunity to be on the show and do a Ranky Panky or a happily ever drafter of his choosing. Now, We are going to be doing a Happily Ever Drafter. That is a professional wrestling-based draft. We're each going to have 25 picks. It's going to be a longer draft. Actually did something very, very similar with Jesse Velasquez, who I've mentioned a couple times during the show today. Last year, we will have more rules on that and explain it a little better during the episode, but that's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to be drafting kind of our fantasy rosters of current professional wrestlers and any organization and that's going to be a ton of fun we're going to share those on social media and let you tell us what you think uh last time i think most people thought jesse won the draft probably right he had all three members of the shield (laughs) on his roster uh so i may go about things a little bit differently this time anyway like i said that does it for four quarters with josh mckinney episode 41 I am the sports editor of the Hickory Daily Record in North Carolina, Josh McKinney. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter at SuperJMac32 or like Four Quarters with Josh McKinney on Facebook. We'll be back with you on June 2nd for the next episode of Four Quarters with Josh McKinney.